Good morning, New Life Church. I uh, feel the need to bring up some water with me this morning because I feel like I might be losing my voice. Shame on you. I should know, though, by now, if you go to the banjo bowl, before you have to preach, you're going you're gonna to be shouting, like, for 100 touchdowns, at least. And... Uh, we, we may have found the key to shorter sermons. <laughs> Just give Rusty the bomber tickets. Again, I don't know why you're clapping, but... Um, just give me bomber tickets, Friday games, Saturday games, that'll, that'll do the trick. Anyway, my condolences to any Ryder fans in the room. Uh, but it's just good to look out over a church that's full. Uh, to enter uh, into a fall where we can all be together for the first time in three years. Feels good. Uh, this morning I, I had pumpkin spice creamer in my coffee for the first time this season. And there's something about that. When that hits the tongue, it just sends that message to the brain. It's fall, right? And so it just feels like fall. Uh, it's kind of nice and cool out there this morning, but God has given us a beautiful day to celebrate with one another, to be together and have some fun together here after the service. So it feels good to be together. It's been a while. Uh, COVID really kind of messed things up for a few years. It made it impossible to do certain things that we otherwise do or um, it caused us to choose to do things that we otherwise maybe had done and it broke some habits we had maybe caused us to form other habits we didn't have and maybe you found this to be true in your spiritual life whether for good or for bad you know over this season we had the rise of things we hadn't heard much about before the rise of online church and virtual church, I was reading the other day that uh, this, is, this is kind of a new thing. Did you know that you can go to church as an avatar? And uh, they actually had a baptism ceremony recently I heard online where people's avatars that went to church were baptized. And I thought, wow, what a world we're living in. Online church, virtual church, home church, no church. Anyway, as we come out of these couple of years, I think a common question that many people might ask is why church? Why church? Over these next six weeks, we're going to go through a series that we're calling Better Together, where what we're going to do is, is uh, we're going to look at God's design for the church. What is his plan? What's his design? What is his dream for his church? What does it look like to be the church? And if you consider this your home church, and I know most of you will, then my encouragement to you is, is as much as possible to be here and to be connected over these six weeks because I just have this feeling like these next six weeks are going to be a, a, an important time for us as a church as we talk about God's design for us. And, and if maybe you're, like Daniel said, if you're visiting with us, maybe for the first time in a long time, um, maybe this isn't your church, maybe you don't have any church, this might be great for you too, just to get a taste of what it is that we're all about. Really, what is the church. And so I'm excited about these uh, weeks ahead. But I want to start this morning in this series by saying this. You, if you are a human being, you are made for community. If you are a human being, you are made for community. Are there any human beings in the room this morning? You're cheering. If you're a human being, just kind of raise your hand. Any human beings in the room? And if you're sitting beside someone who hasn't raised their hand, that's a little, that's a little worrying. If you're a human being, you were made for a community. Well, why do I say that? You know, so we see something really interesting at the very beginning of the Bible. If you know the Bible begins, you know it begins with God's act of creation. And maybe you know the story, right? Over these six days, God creates all that exists, but it, it reaches its kind of culmination on that sixth day where God makes human beings... And, and he describes that creative act of human beings in a really interesting way. He says this. This is now, this is Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 to 28. It says, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. 
So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. What's so interesting about that? Well, it's the way God speaks about himself in this moment. You see, very rarely, only on a couple of occasions in all the scriptures, does God refer to himself as us, our. It's almost always him, he, me. Only a couple times does he say us. Our, and, and this is one of those very few occasions. He said, let, God said to himself, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. And so he made mankind. He made you. What, is, what does this mean? That God refers to himself as us, plural here. Well, I think it, God, what he's doing is he's giving us a little bit of insight into what it actually means to be made in God's image, what it means to be uniquely human. And God, he's kind of giving us a little clue to something that he will reveal more fully in the person of Jesus in the New Testament, right? That God is, in his very being, in his essence, he is community. God, although he's one in essence, he's these three persons eter existing eternally for all history past, and all the future, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, one God and three persons. And I know that's complex and confusing. In the last three Sundays, as we finished um, our previous sermon on the names of God, we looked at the names for these persons and kind of a fuller sense of what it means for God to be three in one. But when God says, let us make man in our image, he's saying, I in my nature, I am community. Did you know in the very being of God, there is community, there is the flow of love? See, in the New Testament, John would say, God is love. He doesn't say God loves. I mean, Rusty loves, but Rusty is not love. But God is love. How can God be love? Well, God is love within himself. God is community. And so what I think he's saying here is when he makes you and me and all people in his image, he's giving us this, he's making kind of a statement that we are made for community. He's saying that a life lacking in community is something less than a fully human life. It's life impoverished. He would go on to say in the next chapter, as we hear a little bit more of kind of how he makes man and his intentions for man and woman, humankind, he says in chapter 2, verse 18, the Lord said, it is not good for the man to be alone. It's not good for a person to be alone. And we know this. And, and, we're, and, we're, and, we're, and we're knowing this better and better as, as researchers and scientists and medical professionals are understanding better how the human brain works, how our emotions work, how our body works, and how we need community to be healthy. And when we don't have it, we're not healthy in body, mind, or spirit. And even before the pandemic, I was reading about this growing epidemic, was the word they were beginning to use, the epidemic of loneliness. It was becoming a bigger problem, maybe especially in our Western societies. In fact, statistically, just to throw out a few stats, over 50% of Canadians feel lonely. When asked, over 50%. Four in ten say that they have no one to talk to. And that, that number has tripled just in the last generation. Statistically, women under the 35 years of age are the loneliest. The percentage of people living alone since 1951, when our queen essentially came to the throne over her lifetime, the number of people that live alone has quadrupled as a percentage. That's quite something. A lot of people living alone. Six in ten Britons, that's people from Britain, uh, report that their closest companion is their pet. Now, maybe you can relate to that. We're finding out that loneliness has terrible consequences. 26% uh, increase in premature death, increase in obesity, increase in um, unhealthy heart, increase in dementia, Increase in mental illness, increase in depression, increase in anxiety. And we know right now, whenever we see the breaking news of a mass shooter 
in the United States or somewhere else, we, we, we already know what it's about, don't we? It's an alienated, isolated, lonely young man. It always is. Now, COVID has made our loneliness epidemic probably exponentially worse. And I wonder how you've felt that in your own life. I can only imagine that it would be true that many, many of us might say this morning that I feel lonely. I feel like I don't have somebody to talk to. Now, it wasn't supposed to be this way, right? Like, we live in what was supposed to be a connected age, the age of the internet, the age of urbanization, where, you know, people that used to live out in the boonies, now they all move to the city, and they're stacked on top of one another in these high-rise apartments. Like, this should be an age of community, and yet what we're discovering is proximity together doesn't equate with authentic relationships. And so you have these densely populated areas with people on the other side of that wall, because I can hear them arguing now and then. But everybody's lonely. We've never had more friends, right, on Facebook. Apparently, I have like 482 friends, which I think is pretty good, to be honest. And then I go through like 80% of them, I'm like, who are they? Who are they? Right? So social media was supposed to make us more social, supposed to bring us together, make us more connected. I mean, I don't need to go on and on. I think you've heard this. Maybe you've watched the documentary on Netflix about how social media has made us completely antisocial. Right? All these friends, but nobody to talk to. No authentic relationships. All these pictures of one's life on Instagram using filters, only showing the, the part of us that we want others to see, the pretend us, not the real us. Everyone seeing us, but nobody knowing us. God says it's not good for man to be alone. And that's a verifiable truth. He goes on to say, it's not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper for him. Now, if, if you know that passage right away, we're thinking, okay, he's going to make the woman, and they're going to be husband and wife, and he's talking about marriage. And that's what's one way in which God gives help. He gives help to us in the context of, of his design for marriage and family. But, but that's only one way that God provides community and help. I mean, Paul, who wrote more of, of, of our New Testament than anyone else, he was not a married man. It was not good for him to be alone, but he was made for community. Jesus, our Lord and Savior, was not a married man, but he needed community, and he sought community. We know that because he gathered around himself 12 men, right, that he did life with, that he brought with him. Not just so that he could pour into them and invest in them, but, but so that they could be there for him in his time of need, right? In agony, when he goes to the garden, when, he, when he's carrying all, all the emotional weight of, of what he's facing, right? He, he, he brings his community. So we see this modeled in Jesus. It is not good for man to be alone. God says, I will make a helper for him. I will make a helper for her because we need help. We were made for community. So Jesus said in calling these men and women to himself, then he would say, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I'm going to build a community, a special community, my community, and it will withstand everything. And he calls this community, which he has and is building, he says, my church. I will build my community, my church. Now that word, maybe you know this, church, that was written in the Greek language. That word church translates the Greek word ecclesia. And you might think when you hear the word church, you think that's a uniquely Christian word. But when Jesus says church, he's not making up a new thing. Oh my goodness, he's inventing the word church. No, like that, that was a word, a Greek word, a common word that essentially just means people that left their houses that assembled together in the square for a common purpose. The word church meant gathered for a purpose. Jesus says, I'm going to build my community, my church. I'm going to bring people together for a purpose. 
And so it's true that when God calls us to himself, he calls us into community. He never calls people to himself to be just him. Just, just the two. When he calls people to himself, he calls them to community. And, and we see this in that little portion of scripture that Daniel read, right in Acts chapter 2. When to this great crowd full of all sorts of different people that had gathered from the whole known world at that time, speaking so many different languages, Peter declares the gospel. And people believe. What should we do, Peter? He says, believe, repent, be baptized. And so they did. Many did. It says 3,000 people believed upon Jesus, repented, were baptized, and were added to their number that day. Wow. It's a lot of people. And then what does it say? Well, the very next words. And they, that is this community of people, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayer. And everyone was filled with awe and the wonders performed by the apostles. And all the believers were together. You hear that? All the believers were together. And they had everything in common. If, someone, some, if there was someone had need, someone sold property to meet that need. And then it says this, every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Here, here's people that are coming together. This is the church. Church is together. And so you have this, this huge group of people. What does it say they did? They gathered together regularly, consistently, faithfully. They gathered all together in the temple courts in that big area that could accommodate them, and they gathered together in people's homes. It doesn't say, or they didn't gather all together, or they gathered in people. They, they gathered all together, and they gathered together in people's homes. In small groups, one another. Big church and small church. So when, when we try to answer that question, why together, we're an, or why church, we're answering the question, why together? Because church means together. So really, when we say why church, it's why community? Why community? And just in our few minutes here, I, I just want to give you three reasons, maybe, God would call us into community, his design for the church. And the first is this, community provides courage. Community provides courage. Listen to what it says here in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 23 to 25. Now, now this is the author of Hebrews is, is writing, talking to the church, a church just like us. He says, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. Don't give up meeting together, but gather together. Why? To encourage one another, to spur one another on in good deeds. Now, why would people neglect meeting together? I don't know. Why would we neglect meeting together? It might be because life just gets busy. It might be because someone rubbed us the wrong way or we might be upset about something, right? It might be because I don't feel like I need this. I feel like I'm pretty good, just me and God. There are all sorts of reasons why people then and today may have neglected meeting together but he says don't neglect meeting together because when you gather together you are encouraged what's in the middle of the word encouraged courage we often think that's just like a little like a nice little weak word oh i like your hairdo that's a nice dress and this is a more robust word right this is to instill courage in someone else who needs it to help them keep going, to help them to keep going, to not give up, to not cool off. He's saying community provides the strength that we need to keep persevering, to keep going, to be sustained in goodness. It's interesting, that word encouragement there in Hebrews 10 is the word paraclete. Do you remember that word? If you were here last week, when Howard was preaching on the Holy Spirit, who has given the word, used the word paraclete, which means helper. You hear it? He said, the Holy Spirit is our divine helper. It's the exact same word. 
We are paraclete. We are helpers to come alongside one another, what to encourage and spur one another on in the way we are to go. Community provides us strength to keep going in a way that without it, we, we, we cannot find. And you know, I've been camping as some of you have over the summer, and if you want to put that fire out before you go to bed so you don't get that ticket, an unattended fire, what do you do? Well, you could pee on it, but like, I'm, I don't want to go there, right? Because that wouldn't be appropriate to say in the sermon. And none of these guys have ever done that or ever thought of doing that. Well, you know, what I normally do is, is when you have those burning embers, maybe piles of, just, maybe they're just red coals. I've used this illustration before. Or, or logs are on fire. What do you do? You take a stick and you poke them and you separate them. Because we've all learned, like, when, 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 when these red hot coals are separated from one another, they go cold fast. But when they're together, when they share their heat together, it's amazing. You can wake up the next morning and they're still red. You separate them apart, in a few minutes they're cold. This is the power of community. I mean, the Bible even talks about that, hot and cold. In Ecclesiastes 4, verse 11, it says, If two lie down together, they can keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? I remember, I've never shared this with anyone, not even my wife. But back, because um, I would made a vow to my friend Andy, I would never share this. Right? Back when I was at Providence College, year 2000 or so, cold Manitoba winter, let's go make a Quincy. You know what a Quincy is? You make a pile of snow, hard, you hollow it out, and then you sleep in it. We thought this would be fun. So it, we, 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 spent, we spent the day making this Quincy, and then we went to sleep in it. Well, we both woke up in the middle of the night freezing. You know, we were kind of apart from one another. So we thought, let's, let's be in our sleeping bags, but let's just be kind of one, close to one another. Which I bet we were still cold. So we had to share a sleeping bag. And, and in the morning, we looked at one and we said, we're never going to ever talk about this ever again with anybody. <laughs> and it's been 20 years, and I haven't to this day. But I thought of that as I was preparing the message. Yeah, we all know this principle, right? If we're apart, we can grow cold quick. But if we're together, the heat that we share is greater than the sum of the parts. This is the biblical picture. See, he says community functions in that way. You know, life is hard. Life brings disappointments. It brings loss. It brings anger. It brings fear. It brings anxiety. We can lose heart. We can lose heat. But when we are together, sharing that heart, sharing that heat, we find ourselves strengthened. We find ourselves encouraged. There's this quote that I love. It says, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. If you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. And if, and if you ever have ran, you know this principle. I've tried to run. I'm not a great runner. But what I've discovered is if I have a running partner, I run farther. And I don't feel as much pain. But if I'm alone, I will, I will feel the side ache faster and I will stop sooner. I remember once running the, the Manitoba Half Marathon years ago now. It was the first time running in a, in a group. I ran two to three times as far in that group as I've ever run alone. And what was the only difference? I was running in a group. And the group carried me along. Right? Community provides courage, strength in one another. And, 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 he, and he, he's saying Christian community is not just speaking positive words to one another. He says, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. What is Christian community? It's me, it's me pointing you to God and saying, remember. It's not that you find strength in me. It's like, I want to help you find strength in God. Remember the confidence that we have in Jesus. Remember who you are in Jesus. Remember all of it. And it's like speaking heat and fuel to you. And sometimes when we're alone, 
When we get in our own head, we can't hear it. We can't believe it. Community provides courage. So he says, don't neglect meeting together, but gather to encourage one another, to spur one another along. Secondly, community provides correction. Community provides correction. If you go a little bit earlier in the book of Hebrews, chapter 3, verses 12 and 13, he says this, See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God, but encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today. Why? Why does he say come together regularly, faithfully, intentionally? So that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Because sin is deceitful. You know what that means, right? Like sin tricks you. Something that maybe in your own wisdom, in your own mind, looks good and right, but isn't. It's harmful. But maybe you don't see that harm in the moment, or maybe you don't see harm at this time, but it's something that this leads to. Sin is deceitful. It causes us, you know, we can just kind of stumble into it if we're just in our own mind, in our own wisdom. And that's why isolation makes us vulnerable. That's why the Bible says the devil prowls around like a lion looking for someone to devour. Who is the devil looking for? He's looking for the person that's alone. Right? Because you've all watched National Geographic. You know how this works. Man, if the leopard or the hyena or whatever can, can separate one from the pack, they're in trouble. They're vulnerable. They don't attack the weakest one in the bunch. They attack the most isolated one. Because it doesn't really matter how strong, it doesn't matter how weak you are. If, if, you're, if you're in a pack, there's protection. But it doesn't really matter how strong you are because if you're alone, there's vulnerability. And this is true too in our spiritual life. Right? Isolation makes us vulnerable to the deceitfulness of sin. And you know, as a pastor, just as a person, as a friend, I have seen this over and over again. I mean, I've seen it in my life, but I've seen it in the lives of others too, how the lack of community is the context in which someone drifts into harm. Because they don't even know they're drifting, right? They're just sitting on a raft, and they think they're just sitting there. They're not even doing anything, but the current's carrying them along. They're maybe naive, so they don't see that. But the person who's on the shore sees them moving, right? The lack of community can allow for drift. And so it says back in Ecclesiastes chapter 4, um, when one falls down, the other can help them up. If two walk together, when one falls down, the other can help them up, but pity anyone who has no one to help them up. Pity anyone who has no community, that when someone stumbles, they stumble into sin, they stumble into danger, there isn't someone there to say something, to give them a hand, to help them out. Essentially what it says is the wisdom of two is greater than the wisdom of one. And then it says the cord of three strands is not easily broken. And I know in, in weddings we always say the third strand is God and it makes your marriage strong. And I think that's true. But again, he's not talking about marriage. He's talking about life. He's talking about relationship. Two is better than one and three is even better than two. Two can defend themselves, he says, but one is easily overpowered because our mind and our heart can be so under the influence of whatever. We're not thinking straight. We have blind spots, and others may see what we are blind to, and maybe they can see something for what it is, and they can be objective when I'm not objective, when I can't see, when my heart is saying something that isn't real, Another can see, and maybe if they're there, they can speak words of truth, words of life. The best defense, this guy, in Hebrew, the, the author of Hebrews is saying, the best defense against talking yourself into stupid things and out of wise things is not you and it's not me, but it's we. The best defense, he says, is we. So the church, as, as God's community, the community he's called us into, is, a is the necessary context for growth and godliness. It is what we need to be corrected in godliness. Not, not just because we, we benefit from the wisdom of someone else, and the wisdom of two is better than the wisdom of one, but it's also we benefit from some of the troubles or the challenges that somebody else brings. 
And this is one aspect of community that we don't always like because we like comfortable. And community isn't always comfortable. In fact, community isn't supposed to be comfortable. You know, I think of Jesus, like you can't handpick your church. Any, any here would like to handpick your church? Right? Like if it was up to you, that person, don't look at them now. Don't look at them. Don't make eye contact with them because then they'll know. That person wouldn't be here if you hadn't picked your church. Can you imagine Jesus when he, when he calls 12 disciples? You know, like those first few, like they're devout Jewish men. One of them's even a zealot, Simon the Zealot. What was a zealot? A ze- they were people that were dedicated to the, eradi- the eradication of Rome as the oppressor. Their one goal was to get rid of Rome. So he's got some guys, he's got Simon the Zealot, and then he comes by a tax collector named Matthew, and he says, Matthew, why don't you come follow me? And they said, what, Lord? Oh, do we get a vote in this? I'm not sure we're comfortable with Matthew being a part of the club. I wonder what Simon the Zealot thought. Matthew, the guy who works for Rome, the guy who collects our taxes to pay the wages of the oppressor. Right? They, they might have wanted to vote in handpicking their community, but God didn't give them that, right? And this is the genius of Jesus. He's wanting to establish not fake community, real community. Real community. Which has the whole spectrum of people of all sorts of preferences, all sorts of personalities, all sorts of backgrounds that he calls to himself because that is the context in which we grow in love. That is the context in which we grow in patience, in godliness. And so can you imagine on that first day, Acts chapter 2, 3,000 people believe, they're baptized, they show up to church the next Sunday in the temple courts, and I'm sure this happened. There's one guy's like, oh my goodness, there's Gary from accounting. Oh my goodness, what is Gary doing here? How did he get in here? Did he believe too? Did he get baptized too? Ah, oh, that guy just rubs me the wrong way. It's going to be tough. I, w- I, w- I would never handpick Gary to be in this community. You need God brings all sorts with all sorts of imperfections and preferences. Why? Because he wants us to grow. And that's the context in which he shapes us and conforms us. Right? We learn to love with a common commitment to the gospel and the common empowering of the Holy Spirit. We learn to love in that type of community. You know, a church that is perfect, that suits all of your preferences, is a church in which you won't grow. You'll never have to. You'll never have to. If you're in a church with only people that it's like, they all fit perfectly with my shape, then you'll always stay your shape. You'll never have to grow. But this is a part of the genius regarding in, in community, the way, this is part of the genius of the church. It's the context in which God grows us in love. In which we can grow and display the oneness we have in Jesus that, that shows the world all these people that were incompatible. Weren't Gary and that guy on the outs? Weren't they always talking about one another behind their backs and now they're over there together? This is Jesus' prayer for his church, his final prayer, John chapter 17. Listen to what he prays before he goes to the cross. John 17, verse 22, I have given them the glory, he's speaking of the church, I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Do you hear what he says? I'm going to bring them all together. And with my help, I'm going to unite them. They're all going to have different preferences. One wants songs that are this long. One wants songs that are like that. One likes, likes sermons that are 45 minutes. The other likes sermons that are an hour. Could happen. All sorts of different personalities. The only thing they have in common is a common faith in Jesus Christ. And he says that's going to be enough. 
They're going to grow in love and experience true community, and that will be the witness to the world of the truth of the gospel. Their oneness will be their witness to the world that Jesus is real. So God uses community to correct us, to shape us, to conform us. And so he uses the wisdom of the other person, but he also uses the challenge of the other person. The imperfections help you grow more holy. Just remember that last time, you know, like there's a little bit of bumping of heads or whatever. It's okay. In a perfect church, you will not grow. It's the imperfections that help you grow more perfect. So community provides correction. Just one more I want to share with you. The, the, the third thing community provides is it provides a cause. And I'm sure community provides a lot more than this, and I kind of struggled with the word cause because as a preacher, you know, we like to alliterate things. It's a sickness. And so maybe this isn't the best word. Community provides a cause. It provides purpose for us because a purposeful life is, is a, uh, a meaningful life, right? We all want to feel like we have Something, a cause, a purpose that we can, that we do make a difference. That's a meaningful life. We all want a meaningful, purposeful life. And I know sometimes we struggle with that because we don't feel we're very gifted. Maybe you don't feel like you don't have a lot to give. You're, you're not a great orator. You know, you can't teach. You can't sing good. You're not a great leader, you're not a great administrator, whatever it is. You may feel like you're not very gifted, but this is something I know about you. You can give community. Each and every one of you, you can give community. You can give yourself to build up other people. You can give yourself to encourage. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, he says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy but store up for yourself treasures in heaven where, where moth and rust do not destroy and thieves can't break in and steal. Make an eternal difference. He's saying, he's saying don't just invest in things that don't last forever. Right? Cars don't last forever. Houses don't last forever. Businesses don't last forever. Only people last forever. Only people do. The most eternally significant thing you can do is to invest in building up other people. The most eternally significant thing you can do is you can give the gift of community, the gift of relationship. I've heard someone say you can impress people from a distance, but you can only impact people up close. You can impress people from a distance, but you can only impact people up close. You know, we all have something to gain from community, but I also want to say this. We all have something to give. We all have something to give. Jesus said it's more blessed to give than to receive. I don't know if you believe that. I don't know if you've experienced that. What is he saying? It's like when you actually give there, you're going to be more human. You were made for community. Uh, where, 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 you're not, where you're not investing in that, you will live a life impoverished. It's more blessed to give because that is a meaningful, a fulfilling life. And I know there's two groups of you people here bringing this to a close. There's people that hear this and go, oh, yes, I'm lonely. I need community. I need this. I want this. How do I find this? I sense the lack of this. And then there's other people that go, I'm kind of good. You know, I'm fine. I got my little group, got my posse. Or, you know, I'm kind of strong. You know, I'm a pretty mature person. Kind of good on my own. Let me talk to those of you who may be further along. You know, maybe in age, maybe in spiritual maturity. Paul says in the book of Titus, he says to, to Titus, who's the leader of the church, young pastor there, he says, tell the older men to train up the younger men. Teach the older women to train up the younger women. He says, in your church, you have a wealth of people with experience, spiritual maturity, Right? Tell them to pass it on. And so you might be here this morning, and, and, and we all have something to gain from community, but I want you to know we, it's not just about what we have to gain, it's about what you have to give, and we all have something to give when we are together.
Being committed to community allows you to make a real difference. It allows you to make a real difference. It allows you to actually change the course of people's lives in ways you'll never know. So, gathering together in consistent, intentional, spiritual community, the church, they gathered together in the temple courts, and they gathered together in each other's homes. It provides courage, strength, correction, wisdom. It provides a cause. It provides purpose. We were made for community. You were made for community. So that's what we need to know as we launch into this series over these next five weeks. We're going to look now um, at, at why we gather and what we do and why we do it when we come together in these settings. One of the ways that we, um, as a church, that we practice community is through life groups. Now, life groups isn't the only way that we, tr- we practice community, but it's one of the key ways that we practice community. And um, some of you, you know what I'm talking about when I say a life group. Some of you maybe heard of it. You've never been involved in it. Some of you have been involved in the past, but for one reason or another, maybe not currently, because COVID has just done a number to all of that, right? And it's been a season of real change, even though the need for community in our lives is, is not one iota less than it was beforehand. But our life groups, really, their mission is to, is to build authentic relationship that helps foster spiritual growth. To build authentic relationships that help foster spiritual growth. Um, and so we put a lot of effort, trying to put more effort into building that community and helping involve you for your good and for the good of others. Because you have something to gain, you have something to give. And so it's been a season of change over the last little while. We've, we've started more of these groups and we, we want to start more. Um, and really, it's just coming together in homes, a group of people that whether it's every week or every two weeks or, or maybe even a little less than that, but, but together, they encourage one another. They study together. They pray together. They encourage one another. They share together. And um, uh, we, we have a few new groups because there's a lot of new people in this church. Man, if you haven't been to New Life Church since COVID hit, you're going to come back and you're going to be like, who, who are these people? Who are these people? Yeah, there's a lot of new people, which is awesome. But it means there's a need to build community now as much as ever. And so there's one, uh, one of our new groups has, has a couple that's fairly new to our church. And so you probably have never even met them. But I want to invite up, because uh, they're just going to just take a couple of minutes to share uh, their experience kind of in this type of community. So uh, Kathleen and Jordan Booth, why don't you come on up? And Neil here, who uh, is our kind of foot soldier <laughs> uh, in, in uh, giving help, support to our life groups. Um, he's really critical in that. He's going to come and he's just going to introduce us to the family and ask them a few questions. Yes, yeah, for the last almost two years now, I've had the oversight of life groups. Just a little bit, very brief background of my uh, history as life groups. I've been in a life group for 30 plus years in one form or another. So that's the importance I put towards it. I'm delighted to say that this church, uh, Pastor Rusty and the rest of the staff have made life groups part of the DNA of the church. It's part of our bloodstream. It's part of our life. So anyhow, we've invited these people up to just give us a little testimony. Now, you ended up here at uh, New Life Church. Could you just tell us how that happened? Um, Yeah, so we were up living in the Yukon, Jordan is RCMP, so we moved away from Winnipeg, and we moved up to the Yukon, and it was now our time to move back home um, to the Winnipeg area. So we had started going to church in the Yukon for the first time in our adult life, and it was a similar church to this, different but similar, and um, we developed a lot of good relationships and community up there, but I knew moving back here, we didn't have any Christian relationships or community to come back to. All of our friends and family, they don't go to church. um, And this is something new in our life. So looking at the time of the world, you know, it was COVID. Church had been online in the Yukon the whole time, basically. A lot of isolation, a lot of stress with the impending move and coming somewhere new where you couldn't even get together with anybody. It was illegal at the time or whatever they called it. But um, so we Googled. We Googled churches in Stonewall, and God led me to New Life's page, and we checked that out, and it seemed like a really welcoming place, similar to what we were 
um, enjoying up in the Yukon. And then we started watching on YouTube. And it seemed like a really, again, welcoming and authentic place to bring our family. So when we moved here, we connected with Rusty and, and some of the other people and started coming. And why did you end up in a life group? Good morning, everybody. Uh, for us, the life group represented uh, an exciting opportunity to connect with other families in the area. Um, and we, it was important to us to try and integrate our church experience with our greater community life. And uh, for myself, I was looking for some spiritual support and guidance. And I guess I'm the type of person, the first group, in the first group of people that Rusty was talking about, I'm fairly extroverted, and I love getting together with people. So I was craving community, I was craving connection, and um, when we first moved here, and I didn't have any of that, it was really quite depressing and lonely, like we talk about. I've never felt that lonely in my life. Um, I wasn't working either, so I felt like I had no connections, and um, I kept bugging Neil about the life groups, and um, was I guess that was one of the other ways that we were led by God to be connected to a Christian community. You may have answered this already, but what's the best part about being in a life group? Well, I guess the community is the best part. I had been praying to God for Christian friendships when we first moved here because I was very lonely and I had left a lot of good relationships up in the Yukon. Um, and like I said, my, my friends and family that we have here aren't really active participating Christians, they don't go to church. Um, so that's the best part for me is that I, as a newer Christian, was able to meet with other people who have, say, more spiritual maturity than I do. And that was, that's a good model for us to um, how to go through life struggles as a family. Yeah, I'll echo that a bit. Uh, for myself, I really enjoy the social aspect. It's always fun to get our families together for an afternoon, and uh, it's something that I look forward to every time, every month. Um, but as well, I really appreciate the atmosphere of our life group. It's very casual, but also very uh, intentional and supportive. So for me, coming into the life group as someone who had lingering questions about faith uh, and pretty limited knowledge of the gospel, it was really nice to be paired up with people that were more advanced and knowledgeable so that they could sort of take the lead on sessions and uh, in a lot of ways just act as a mentor for me. Thanks, Jordan. And I'll give the last word to Kathleen because you sort of answered your, uh, the impact that life groups have had on you. Is there anything you wanted to add? Um, I think one of the greatest impacts is now I have this social support group of people um, you know, at the beginning when we first started meeting, we were a group of strangers and it was a little bit harder to share, but as time went on, reflecting over the last year, it's kind of neat to see how much trust we've built as a group um, and how much I appreciate that and having a group of people to go to when I, we're having our conundrums in life or just sharing things that are going on and wanting support. It's nice to have um, a Christian support group because we have lots of friends and family and coworkers that are always giving their insight and advice into your life, but it's not gospel-centered. So that's been the greatest impact as well as having our kids see us model, I think, um, being connected and, and being authentic in our Christianity and incorporating that into everyday life. Thank you very much, both of you. After the service, I will be outside at a table and you can come and sign up. And we'll do, make our very best effort to put you in a life group where you fit uh, genuinely and sort of organically. Um, and so just come and see me outside. Thanks. Hey, we're just really happy to have you in our church family and to hear that that's been your experience. And we want that for everybody. And it takes courage probably to step into a group of strangers. Hey? first time, and uh, not, that, not that it always starts as a group of strangers, sometimes pre-existing relationships. But it takes courage to step into community. But for all the reasons we've talked about this morning, do it. So you need like step into it. You were made for that. Right? That's, that's where you provide, find that, 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 
that, that strength, that purpose, and that wisdom. And so um, and you did a great job, little, your little daughter up there. I can't remember if that's Claire or Amelia. I always have a 50-50 chance, and I always get it wrong. I don't know how that's even statistically possible. But uh, you know what? We're, we're going to close here with one song um, before we head out. But I think the kids did great in here. And uh, I do want to say, because I'm not sure it was mentioned, next Sunday, if you feel it's a little packed, uh, we are back to our two services, right? So 9 o'clock and 10.45 are regular services, regular Sunday school. So kids up to grade 6 in first service, up to grade 4 in second service. There will be those, uh, those activities for those kids during the service there as well. And so just uh, be reminded that that begins again next Sunday. So let me just throw up that question there, uh, Christian, onto that screen. So just bringing this to a close, I just want to pray over us as we consider these questions. And then the team's going to lead us up. Daniel is going to, uh, we're going to, we're going to sing together one final song of worship. He'll give a little bit of instruction about what happens next out there. Um, before we do that, these are the questions I want to put to you here. Uh, is community a priority in your life? I mean, we've come out of COVID. It's scrambled a lot of things, Right? So just ponder this question. I want you to take these home with you. I mean, if you're one of those persons that has others in your home that you might be going home to, I think this was a, a, a great, great question to talk about together as a couple, as a family. And, uh, and if you live alone, maybe to uh, find someone else who's in the room here, a friend of yours, and maybe get together for coffee or call them up and talk about these questions. Is community a priority in your life? What could a next step in prioritizing community look like? What, what would that next step be to pursue that type of community for your good and for the good of others? So let's just put those questions before God and just invite him to come and to speak to us and to lead us into his good plan for our lives. Do you want to stand with me as I pray over us and then we will sing together? God, we thank you that you have um, shown us the type of God you are. You are a God, not just that loves, but you are love. You are a God that loves even within yourself, your community, and you have made us to reflect your nature in that way. You have made us to, um, to grow in this context here, in, in this big space, but then also in smaller groups together. Lord, this is your desire for us. And so I thank you, God, that we're not alone. We don't have to be alone, that we can be together. And God, we just, as we enter this new season in the life of our church, as we're all together for the first time in a long time, as we go through this series, Lord, where we're, we're looking at your, your dream for us, um, I just pray that you would speak to each one of us, Lord. Speak to each person, speak to each family, or just show us um, what it is you want this to look like in our life, that we would be people that don't neglect community, but that we are pursuing it, we are prioritizing it, God. I just pray that um, we'd all take this seriously, that you would show us, God, how we can further move in that direction so that we can be strong, that we can be wise, that we can live a purposeful life, and so that we can bless other people and help others around us. Um, Lord, because like Jesus said, the greatest command is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. Lord, life is all about relationships. And just show us, God, how we can love you and how we can love one another better. All this we pray in Jesus' wonderful name. And together we say, amen.